My wife has informed me that I'm a loud person. It generally happens in the context of Toby is sleeping in our bedroom, and then I'm just like out there doing stuff, like opening the fridge too loud, um, talking too loud, laughing too loud, whatever. So apparently I'm just like a loud person, which is really weird because um, if you knew me when I was a kid, or if you knew me when I was in high school, I was not a loud person. I was a very quiet, introverted person. I still am introverted, but apparently I became a loud introvert, which is a winning combination. <laughs> oh yeah? Like how so? Oh yeah, I, I guess so. Well, what are you gonna do? I'm pretty sure there are exceptions. Like Jeff, does your wife think you're loud? <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Never mind, it's universal. Um, okay. Let's get started. Um, okay, so we're starting a new series, and I'm really excited for this series. Um, this series is called God Puts the Lonely in Homes. God Puts the Lonely in Homes. Uh, this is from Psalm 68. Uh, so what I wanted to start off with, uh, I, let, me, let me tell you where we're going. So first, I wanted to spend some time uh, taking a survey of the landscape of our society or culture um, and looking at loneliness, uh, what, what the world is like, what it's like to be lonely, how prevalent loneliness is. And then I also want you guys to think, um, what are times where you've experienced deep loneliness? What does it feel like? And then over the course of the series, what I want, th th this is kind of like an overview and intro for the series, but what I want you to know is uh, when we are lonely, uh, God really cares and loves for us, loves us, loves for us. Uh, and he wants to address the deepest needs of our heart, our deep emptiness and loneliness by bringing us into two, or I, you could say it's one, but uh, by doing two things for us. He wants to welcome us into the home of the Trinity. God wants to welcome us into his loving community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by experiencing fellowship with God, fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we can address, he, he addresses our deepest need, which is to be reconciled to God and have a God who we can relate to as a father, um, as a friend. The second thing God does to put us in homes, to put lonely people in homes, is God creates a new community of believers, the church. And so I think if you look at God's approach to counseling or coping with lonely people, it is a beautiful, incredible holistic, rich way of dealing with lonely people. And I really think when you look at a lot of the strategies that the world has for um, helping lonely people, uh, often the strategies are um, one-sided or imperfect. Uh, and like the, what I really believe, and this is a quote that I always say, um, but uh, St. Augustine is well known for saying, um, you have made us for yourself, God has made us for him, for him to have a relationship with him, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So without God, um, you can be in the... So we're, we're running a wide range of people. Um, when you think about the word home, God sets the lonely in homes. 
you might have like a loaded idea of what it means to be in a home. Your home might not be a place where you experience belonging and acceptance and joy for whatever reason. It could be your parents, it could be like um, your kids, it could be whatever it might be, your, your relationship with your spouse. Those all make the home a place where you don't feel safe, you don't feel accepted or understood. But God is a perfect heavenly father who knows and understands you perfectly. And so he addresses that deep need you have uh, to experience someone who truly knows you as you are and still loves and accepts you. The, the, the next way he addresses our loneliness is by, by creating a people who can express the tangible love of God to lonely people. And when we were celebrating our 30th anniversary of this church, which is really crazy, um, uh, one, of the, one of the most awesome things for me was to just like think about all the people um, that God has brought into a community and helped over the course of the life of our church. There have been so many people who are hurting and broken and lonely, and there have been so many faithful children of God who have said, I know what it's like to be empty and lonely. Uh, do you want to meet your heavenly father, and do you want to be adopted into this community and family? And so I think of Greg and Ginny, and um, for many, many years, many, many years, they opened up their giant rocking horse court home. Uh, for, for all of you youth you're, like who weren't able to go there, Sorry, you, you blew it, you missed out. Uh, they had a swimming pool, tennis court, basketball court, pool table. It was like so much fun, huge, huge house, so much fun. And for years and years and years, Greg and Ginny brought middle schoolers, high schoolers, kids who were lonely, kids who were popular, they brought them all to their house and provided a house, a place where people could feel accepted, have fun, have belonging, um, again, we're not perfect, our church is not perfect, none of us humans are perfect, but this is what God's doing. This is what God's like. So let me, uh, let me so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about loneliness today. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Trinity. We're gonna talk about how God putting us in homes actually changes and heals us relationally and changes the way we relate to other people. Um, but let me go ahead and begin my TED talk on loneliness in America, okay? So, uh, thank you for coming to our TED Talk. My name is Daniel. Um, so, uh, go to the first one, Jer. So, if you're anything like me and you like read the news, um, you've been realizing that there is a loneliness epidemic in the world. And especially, I mean, let's just focus on America for a second, right? So there's a survey by health insurer Cigna that found out more than three in five people in America repeated, reported feeling left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. Th more than three in five. That's a very high number, right? Um, and the specific things that they reported, you feel left out, so other people are doing stuff without you and they're not including you in their group. You feel poorly understood, where whatever you're going through, there is no one who really gets you, you know? And that can be a tremendously isolating feeling. We all, like, even if you look really normal and popular on the outside, um, I think we all know what it's like to be going through something and feel like no one understands you. No one gets it. No one gets you. There are no people around you who really get you. Um, and then they lack companionship. So there is a tremendous prevalence of people who are isolated. Um, this is across all generations. 
the youngest groups, so people, I, for this survey, I believe it was Gen Z, people from the ages of 18 to 22, um, reported the highest in, uh, levels of loneliness. The oldest people, the, the boomers or whatever you want to call them, uh, the older people had lower levels, but everyone was lonely. There were high, high reportages of loneliness throughout all these groups. Let's look at the next article. Uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, the next one. Uh, this article or this study was titled Worldwide Increases in Adolescent Loneliness. So this is from the Journal of Adolescence, volume 93. So this is an academic journal, and it is a wide-ranging study um, over basically two, th or I'm not supposed to tell you that, but it's a, it was a study that was conducted over many years, over many years, uh, surveying kids from all over the world in, in 37 different countries and asking them, the kids in school age, how lonely were they? Um, what it said was, 36 out of 37 countries reported a rise in loneliness among school-age children. And in a six-year period, students with elevated levels of loneliness almost doubled. So twice as many kids reported being lonely over only a six-year period. And you're kind of like, that's shocking. There's something really crazy happening if during school, uh, the number of kids who just report feeling lonely, misunderstood, um, uh, left out has more than doubled, or not, sorry, less than doubled, but almost doubled. <laughs> uh, let's look at the third one. Uh, this is from, I think this is from the Scientific American. Uh, loneliness is harmful to our nation's health. So this study um, surveyed, uh, showed that 47% of Americans often feel alone. So it's not just saying like the, the other surveys, it's like, how, like, were you ever lonely this last year? This one is saying 47% of people often feel alone. They feel alone, left out, and lack meaningful connections with others. Um, and then the other, okay, so I, good job. My next point uh, doesn't make sense. But just erase, or did you fix it, Jeremiah? Okay, come on, Jeremiah, you're supposed to, no, that's totally my fault. Um, the main point of the article is that not only is loneliness um, extremely painful emotionally, um, but it also has serious health implications. So this study was very interesting because uh, they looked at uh, basically people who are diagnosed with cancer, if they're lonely and isolated, uh, I think their recovery rate is something like 30% lower. So when they're going through chemotherapy, when they're going through treatment, um, there's no one to support them and that lack of support and isolation leads to terribly worse outcomes in medical healing, healing their bodies. Uh, this, the old uh, Vivek Murthy, the old um, Surgeon General, uh, he talked a lot about this, where he actually, I mean, I don't know, like I'm not sure the studies behind this, but he said basically that people who are uh, chronically isolated, so people who are living by themselves, don't have any social ties, um, it's, their life expectancy is 15 years lower because that's just how important relationships are and how we need social connection. Um, again, so I hope you're seeing how serious this is. Um, life expectancy in the US uh, is declining and there's a new phenomenon that has happened in the past but it's, it's rising called deaths of despair. So people increasingly commit suicide, have drug overdoses, 
um, have alcohol poisoning, all of these things are increasing dramatically. And what is the root cause of many of these deaths of despair, self-harm, all these different things? Uh, loneliness. People lack friendship, companionship, people who understand them, people who love and care for them. Okay? Now, what do these studies have in common? Uh, what do you think? You're not gonna get it. Do you know what all these studies have in common? They all took place and looked at data sets before the pandemic. Okay? Boom, right? The pandemic, all of this stuff was happening before the pandemic. Um, so if you look at the first study, it was published January 23rd, 2020. So, you know, in December 2019, it started in Wuhan, but like it hadn't gone to the world yet. January 20, uh, 23rd, like that was like the very, very beginning um, in America. The first study was published then, and so they're looking at data sets before the pandemic. The second was published in 2021, but used data, the one about adolescent loneliness in school age is rising. They looked at data from 2000, 2003, uh, 2012, 2015, 2018. So the six year period where student loneliness nearly doubled was from 2012 to 2018. That's pretty crazy, right? So basically, even before the pandemic, school-age children were increasingly lonely. And so, I mean, for all of you kids in here, I mean, you, you don't need me to tell you this, but it, like your parents, <laughs> it, help, it helps us understand sometimes what it feels like and what you're going through. Um, the third one was published uh, March 20th, 2019. That was the one talking about the health impact of loneliness, okay? So now, let's go to the next one. Um, and I think this is the last article I'm talking about, so I promise you we'll get to something a little less uh, difficult and depressing. But this one is probably the most depressing, so be warned. And I'm, I'm serious, like, like as I'm talking about this stuff, um, if you guys are struggling with something, uh, please let me know, please let Dan know. Uh, we have a lot of resources at our church uh, where we want to help you and make you, um, and help you in whatever way you can. Uh, we have some counselors in our church, like Yvonne and different people who would love to talk to you. Um, this was from the New York Times in April 23rd, 2022. Um, the type, the, it was a big, it was a big spread. There were, there were multiple articles, wide ranging studies. And it was, it says, it's life or death, the mental health crisis among US teens. And so the article followed um, a couple of youth uh, one of them was uh, 14, the other was 13, I believe. I could be misremembering their age, but these were really depressed, uh, lonely youth with mental health issues that engaged in self-harm, and one of them committed suicide um, and died. Uh, and the article used these interviews as a way to talk about how serious the mental health issues are in schools and how what was already a huge problem before 2020 has become greatly exacerbated by the pandemic. So if people were already isolated and feeling alone, what do you think it does to people to be sheltered in place for years on end? What do you think it means for people who are school age? Um, or even the Cigna one was talking about people in the workplace, in the office, um, even office workers who are having all their meetings and interactions on Zoom, they felt lonely and isolated. The friends I talked to, people I talked to, we were all going through this collective isolation and it was tremendously difficult. And as a result of that, um, many of our mental healths are suffering. Uh, many of us are extremely lonely. 
The other thing I want you to see about mental health from this uh, article is we use, uh, we use counseling language like depression, anxiety, et cetera. But what this article pointed out was when you look at a lot of those symptoms or issues, um, engaging in self-harm, depression, anxiety, uh, whatever it might be, those, those are mental health issues, right? Uh, the core factor, one of the core factors behind all of those mental health issues, and this is, is loneliness. So that was reported by the kids who were um, kind of interviewed and followed, where one girl who was engaging in self-harm, um, she basically said, my issue is I feel alone. I feel like no one understands me. The other thing, the, the next little bullet point, um, which is very interesting, and this is related to, I mean, uh, a lot of these studies are trying to pinpoint what the cause of loneliness is. And one part that this study has shown is that um, partially due to technology use, but there are probably other factors as well. Um, this, this professor said, they're hang talking about the teens, they're hanging out with friends, but no friends are there. So even though they can be in person with their friend group, it feels to them like they aren't really known or understood and that no one is really there for them. Okay, so these are the, these are, this is what people are saying. And then, then she goes on to say, it's not the same social connectedness we need and not the kind that prevents us from feeling lonely. Okay? So this is the world we live in and the pandemic has exacerbated this. And so when, when I see you and when you look at me, we are a group of people who experience loneliness. Um, it, it goes over like every single age range. So like uh, one, one stereotype is um, when you get married, have kids, you're a young adult, especially if you're a man, uh, you have no male friends. And th this is like a stereotype and there's some truth to it where it becomes hard to maintain meaningful relationships with people outside of your family because there's so much stuff going on in your family. Um, for kids, for many of you, uh, a lot of stuff is happening with school, really busy, extracurriculars, uh, you're go, 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 go. Uh, you have video games to play. You have a lot, a lot of stuff to do. And uh, you feel tremendously lonely. Because even if you have close friends and acquaintances, even if you have people to study with, even if you have people you hang around with, you can't share the deepest parts of you. And, and you don't feel like they understand what you're going through. Um, now, if you do have friends, that's awesome. And be grateful for those. But this is the world we live in. So what does alone feel like? I want you guys to actually think for a second what it feels like. We've been looking at big picture stuff, like these are trends, these are numbers, these are st statistics. What about for you? What does it feel like for you to be alone and isolated? Um, it can feel like no one understands you. There's no one to share joy and sadness with. Um, that's one of the great things about being married, where it's like, whatever's going on, I can like be loud to my wife I could be like, hey, Ashley. And then she's like, ah, shut up. Like, you're too loud. Like, whisper to me instead. But I never learned how to whisper because I'm a boy. Did you know that? Girls are good at whispering. Boys are not. Um, no, there's no one to share joys and sadness with. You don't feel belonging. You don't feel safe. There's no one to take care of you. And so that's why the health outcomes are so devastatingly negative. Um, that's why your emotional life uh, shrivels. Um, this is how hard things are. Um, so then what's the answer here? Um, again, this is all introing our series. Um, I wanted to really describe the problem 
in, in to some degree of depth, um, and then we're going to look at some potential answers, okay? So what's the answer? Relationships, duh, Daniel, it's so obvious. You just have to have friends and good relationships. Is it that obvious? Is it that easy? Um, so if you're anything like me, sorry, I have like something like scratchy in my throat. It's like messing with me. Um, if you're anything like me, it's okay, Peter, don't worry about it. Um, if you're anything like me, um, you realize that uh, relationships are a different kind of suffering and pain. And uh, go to the next one, Jared. So this is my issue uh, that I learned from a young age. This is my strat. Like this was one of my strategy for for coping with things. Um, there's that saying: people you can't live with them, and you can't live without them, right? Because loneliness is loneliness. Loneliness is terrible. It's isolating. But also, people are terribly difficult. And here, would you let me let me give you two options. Would you rather be tremendously lonely and always isolated, or would you rather be terribly betrayed and hurt by the person you love the most? Which one is worse? I don't know. <laughs> but but these are kind of the options that we experience in life, right? So you, you might be part of a family, you love your family, or you might be part of a relationship, and it's like being married, you, you learn... Like, being married is great because it's kind of like a force field where, in many cases, I no longer care what other people think because my wife loves me. But when my wife says something that's, like, critical or hurtful to me, it hurts more than anything. And if you're married, you know what that's like. Um, so your wife's opinion has tremendous power over you. And then if you guys have experienced, like, serious pain or loss in relationships where your friend, you've, you had a really close friend, and then they like talked about you behind your back, backstabbed you, or even just were like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. You're, you're not cool or whatever it might be. Or you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend um, or they broke up for you. Uh, you can't live with them. You can't live without them. And there are multiple strategies that we have to deal with this, right? We can't be alone. So we look for relationships. But here's the thing. We are terrified of being rejected by the people we're close to. And so we start using strategies, right? Where the first bullet point, we know that if people really knew who we were, uh, we are terrified that they wouldn't love us, right? Or they would reject us. Like if you know, if you knew who I really was, would you still be listening to me? <laughs> would, you would you still be like, oh yeah, you're a pastor. Like, would you really, like, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. And what I would say to that is, like, I am a sinner saved by grace, so I'm not perfect. And if you knew me, you might be terrified and, like, disgusted by me, but, I mean, that's who I am. I'm, I'm a sinner saved by God and by grace. Um, so uh, our strategy, then, is to perform so people will like us. If you're in high school, you know exa exactly what this is like. You, you uh, present a curated image of yourself in a way that you think will most make people like you, rather than revealing the true self. And so... There, again, there are a lot of different responses to this. Uh, there are some people who say, hell is other people, I'd rather be lonely. But then, thank you, <laughs> after a while of being lonely, you're like, I'm dying. This is excruciatingly painful being alone. And so you wiffle waffle between, if you're like me, you wiffle waffle between being like, I never want to be around people. But then you're like, I really need to talk to someone. 
And so you go out and you're like, I want to talk to you. And then you like, you're allowed, you're too loud and you talk too much. That's me. Um, so let me, okay. And then this next one, I, I don't know what you uh, young whippersnappers will think of this one, but there's a phenomenon um, that on the internet uh, that I've read using the internet um, where there's a thing called waifu and husbando, hus husbando right? Uh, can, okay, please, young kids, can you raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so all of you kids, many of you kids know what I'm talking about. You old people have no clue. Um, so this is a phenomenon, and I would say this is a coping mechanism people have uh, to protect them from the pain of loneliness and the pain of relationships. And for some people, uh, this, is just, this is just really real, right? So this is a phenomenon where you read manga or anime, and you have a strong romantic attraction to a fictional character in anime or manga. So, and you, you almost like, it's almost like you treat them like your boyfriend or girlfriend. You crush on them, you think about them. Um, now, why would people do that and why do kids do that? Um, I think it's because kids are, we all are desperately afraid of being lonely and we don't have a real person. So we turn to this fictional character to, for companionship. And then the other attractive part about a fictional character is they can't hurt us. They're fictional. And so we can imagine, we can fantasize whatever we want. They're never going to backstab us. They're never going to betray us or hurt us. And so it's companionship and romance without the uncertainty of real people. This is how people deal with loneliness and relationships, okay? So this is really tough. This is the world we live in. You have all kinds of interesting things going on where um, there's an article about a guy who I think legally married a fictional anime character. Um, there, there is a phenomenon where it's like, we're not there quite yet, but a lot of sci-fi movies like her and different ones talk about the idea that you would rather have like a robot spouse than a real spouse, because again, a robot can't hurt you. A robot you can control and program, um, and they're never going to betray you, right? You have the illusion of companionship, the illusion of intimacy, without the danger of an uncertainty of being heard. How de on a scale of one to 10, how depressed are you right now? Um, the, <laughs> Greg is a 20 on a scale of 10. Um, really, like this, this sermon series is really personal to me because um, I, when I was in high school, I was tremendously depressed. And especially when I was a junior in high school, uh, Eleanor, my, my sister is here, so she knew, she knew what I was like. Um, but, uh, and for, for, for many of you, you've heard this story already, um, but things really climaxed when I was a junior in high school and I had a physics project that was worth half of my grade. Um, I decided to not do it. So <laughs> Jenny's like, I decided to not do it. Um, I, you, like the, not a, good, not a good decision. I don't recommend it. Um, but you have to understand the context and my emotional life and how I felt, right? And my feeling, I'm, a, I'm very sensitive, so my feelings are very powerful. Um, I, was, I was really depressed. I was really struggling and feeling hopeless in my life. And as a result of that, I'm kind of like, what's the point? What reason do I have for doing something really miserable um, so that I get a, get like a, like a B in physics or whatever I, grade I would get. What's the point of that? Because like my life, I feel meaningless. Like I feel worthless. I feel unlovable, misunderstood, and just sad all the time. 
And so uh, this is kind of my testimony. And this is why I think God, the Trinity, the love of the Trinity, and the love of the community, the body of Christ, these are actually tremendously personal um, ways that God has helped me in my loneliness and depression. So uh, really sensitive, really dramatic. Picture this, I had long emo hair. Now I'm losing my hair, but before I had like long emo hair. And um, uh, so it was the night before my physics project was due and it was raining outside. And so like a depressed person, a dr like a dramatic, melodramatic depressed person, um, I felt an affinity with the rain because it reflected my sadness. So I went out into the backyard and I sat in the rain because I was so miserable. And in that moment, like I'd been raised in the church, uh, I'd been baptized when I was 10, uh, but in this moment, what I really wanted more than anything was to experience the feeling of God loving me and caring for me. And so I prayed to him and I'm like, God, I don't know where my life is going. I feel completely hopeless. Can you help me? And it was, it was very desperate. It was a very desperate player, prayer where I was just like, God, help me, help me, I'm desperate. And the crazy thing happened in that moment, um, in that moment, and I don't know if this is like when I became a Christian, but this is one of the most uh, transformative moments in my relationship with God. Uh, in that moment, I had a sense of peace. And I felt God say to me, it's going to be okay. And you can have hope like your life is not over. You can have purpose and meaning in your life. And, and I mean, he didn't say like you have purpose, but that was the feeling I felt where and it, like my emotional state was one way. And then it was really like God was speaking to me or God was like giving me this impression that it's going to be okay, that I'm loved and cared for and that it, I, I could have hope. And here's the crazy cool thing. Um, about five minutes later, as I was kind of like sitting there in the rain, feeling that feeling, my dad came out into the rain and he said, I love you, come back inside. So my dad knew I was gonna fail physics, uh, but he said, I know, like he knew kind of, I don't, I don't think he totally understood what I was going through, but he was willing to go out there and say, I still love you even though you're gonna fail physics. I still love you and accept you. So in that moment, um, I, there were two things that happened. The first thing that happened was I experienced a God who puts the lonely in homes. The Psalm, Psalm 68, verse five and six, uh, says, father of the fatherless, defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. What is God like? God is someone who looks at fatherless people and says, I will be a father to you. God looks at lonely people who have no one to care for them and discipline and love them like a father does their children. And he says, I will be a father to you. He is the protector or arbitrator of widows. Widows during this time could not work. They couldn't provide for themselves. Their husband had died. And so they were honestly extremely vulnerable people. Um, people would try to abuse them, exploit them, take their property. And what does it say about God? God is an arbitrator for widows, a defender for widows. So imagine like a widow is getting like sued by an 
uh, a person who wants to take their property. They know they're vulnerable, they know they're weak, so they're gonna try to take their stuff. And it's not fair, it's unjust. God is the one who defends them in court. These are the most vulnerable, lonely people, and these are the people that God protects. The, the verse says, Father of the fatherless, defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. That means that God's character, this is so essential to God's identity. It doesn't say God is a father for, God fathers the fatherless. It says God is a father of the fatherless. That is who he is, his character, his nature. He is a defender of the widows. That's him in his holy habitation. And then the next verse is the theme verse where it says, God puts the solitary in families. God puts the solitary or lonely in homes. And the translation here, the word for solitary or lonely is basically someone who has absolutely no one. There's just one person, solitary. They're alone. There's no one. But God is the one who promises, who goes after those lonely people and says, I want to put you in a home. I want you to put you in a house. What does it feel like to be an orphan and then say, and then find that person who's like, I want to adopt you. You had no one before. I want to put you in a home. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to be there for you. That is who God is. God puts the solitary or the lonely in a house, in a home, in a family. And so this is like my personal testimony, but this is also, I think, the only answer for the loneliness that you are experiencing, the only answer for the loneliness that the world experiences, it is the gospel. It is God saying, I look down at the world that I made, the world that has gone away from me, and I see them in their desperation and loneliness and despair, and I say, I'm not gonna leave them there. I'm going to send my son on a rescue mission to save them and bring them back into my family. That's what the gospel is. It's God saved sinners. It's God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what that really means is when you believe in Jesus and you cry out to God and say, God, can you help me in my loneliness? When you trust in him, he says, you are my beloved child. I want to adopt you into my family. And that's what addresses that deep loneliness and inner emptiness that we experience. God cares for the people who has no one to care for them, and he does that by settling the solitary or the lonely in, the home, in, the, in a home. Um, so the other way that God does this, he welcomes us into the life of the Trinity, and we're going to talk more about this in the upcoming series. If you guys don't know what the Trinity is, uh, let, me just, I, let me hurt your brain for a second. <clears throat> the tr Trinity... I was talking to Grace about this, and I was hurting her brain. Um, the Trinity is the truth that God is one God, but three persons. So God is one God. It's just one God. But he is also tri-personal. There are three people. And God at his core is love, which means that God and the members of the Trinity are three people who love each other, who care for each other, who glorify and submit and obey each other. And they're basically like the perfect, healthy family. 
And so when you are lonely, what's so cool is even if your family is messed up, like my family is messed up in a, a lot of different ways. Um, like my uh, Eleanor, like me and my sister growing up, when we were in our house in Cupertino, uh, we basically would just like orbit around each other often where it's like I would be off by myself, Eleanor would be off by herself, and then my parents would be in the computer room. They're both like software engineers. So my dad's computer pointed this way, my mom's computer pointed this way, and they would just be there and not talk to each other. <laughs> and so for dinner, like we didn't eat together very often. We would just like get our, my mom would cook and we just get our food when we want and go to our separate areas. Um, but my parents, like my parents are amazing and great, but I'm just saying like we're not a perfect family. Um, uh, and we're going to talk more about that too, but um, I forgot why I started talking about that. But anyway, the Trinity is the healthy. Thank you. The Trinity is the healthy family, and so the Trinity becomes a way we can learn how to love other people when our parents didn't teach us that, or when we were just so hurt and messed up by people in our lives, not our parents, that we forgot how to love and we became distrustful or scared of relationships. Um, and so the, in terms of the intellectual concept of the Trinity, it's kind of mind boggling, like it's hard to wrap your mind around. And so there are theologians have different ways of thinking about the Trinity. Um, so one way that has been helpful to me is if you imagine a cube, like imagine a cube, um, is a cube one cube or is it six square faces, right? A cube, three dimensions, has six squares, two dimensions, and the six squares make up one cube. Is a cube a cube, or is it six squares? What's the answer? It's both. And so God is a being that is on a different level and dimension as us, and so for, for somehow it's possible for him to exist both as one God and three persons, in the same way a cube is also six squares. Or water is both solid, gaseous, liquid, right? I mean, I don't know if that helps or not, but we'll talk more about the Trinity. Um, the second thing God does to put us in homes, and this is the second part of my testimony, which I'm so thankful for, and the 30th anniversary reminded me of this, is really being part of God's people, the church. Um, my, life, my life, my relationships, the way I relate to people was forever changed by specific people like many of you who expressed tangible love to me over many, many years. So I was raised in this church. I was, I, I mean, I was basically like born in this church. I came when I was in third grade and I've been here for years and years and years. And over the many, many times that I was lonely, that I was depressed, so many of you have come to me and prayed for me and encouraged me and been family to me when I felt like no one understood me and I didn't belong. And that's really what I hope we can do for you as CCIC South Valley, where once you understand the love of God, the God who is the father of the fatherless, the defender of widows, once you understand who he is and understand his love for you, how he comes, gets, get it, he comes to you in your brokenness and loneliness, he knows you completely, but he loves you and accepts you, and he brings you into the life of the Trinity, not only does he, he do that, but he brings you into the body of Christ, his family. We are part of the family of God, and we can show tangible love and care to you and bring real healing. Because God doesn't want us to just be alone with God. God actually says to us, 
love God and love others. And when you experience his love, it actually changes you to the point where you go from a lonely person like me to a person who can try as best I can, not perfect, to say, where are the lonely people who I can love? Where are the lonely people who I can reach out to? Where are the depressed people who I can talk to? Because I know what it's like to be depressed, and not everyone does. Um, I don't know it perfectly. I can't do it perfectly. But I can be a hand, like an instrument of God's love for people. Do you know this God? Do you know his love for you? Um, application. As I was talking about loneliness, I don't know what you're thinking or feeling. As I was talking about being in high school, I don't know what you're thinking or feeling. Um, if you are anything like me, and you've experienced this emptiness and loneliness and isolation over the course of the pandemic, and you want to have someone who understands you and cares for you, what I want you to do is reach out to God because you know he's reaching out to you. So God is already reaching out to you. Will you take his hand and say, God, can you help me with my loneliness? Can you help me know who you are so that you can be a father to me? Because I really feel like I need a father I really feel like I need a friend right now. And then the application is just reach out to him, take his hand, and see what he does. See how he addresses your needs. And he does this through prayer, he does this through word, he does this through the church. The second thing I would say is um, if you feel like you're in a good place relationally, take some relational risks for the sake of lonely people. So this, this goes both ways. Um, for me, when I was in college, I had a friend named John Bryant, who, who is six foot eight, and his brother, uh, Charlie, was on the practice squad of the San Diego Chargers, which is an NFL team. So my friend was a tall, skinny guy. His brother was a gigantic, tall guy. Um, and he was very, he was the person when I was in the dorm by myself, in our room by myself, and he would, he would go get me, grab me, and say, Daniel, we are gonna go to IHOP. We're going to go to Wendy's. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. I'm feeling sad. And he's like, no, Daniel, you're coming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to bug me until I go. So fine, I'll go. And you know what? That really helped me. That really helped me. Someone who reached out to me and encouraged me to be with people. Because I needed that. Because a lot of times when you're lonely, you have that inner tension where it's like, I don't want to be alone, but I also don't want to be with people, right? And so you need someone to help you get over that hump. Um, so you can be that person for people. And then if you're a lonely person like me, um, just try to take a little risk, try to peep out of your shell a little bit, and go. So if someone asks you, go do that. So over the course of this series, I hope you can reach out to God, reach out to other people, and I hope that us as a church can really be a place where lonely people feel belonging and acceptance. Um, we're not perfect. We're not going to be God for you but we can help, we can give a, a taste of God's tangible love for you, and we can point you to God and follow him together. Let's pray, and then we'll move into a time of communion. Uh, dear Lord, I praise you that you put lonely people in families, and I pray, Lord, that we would be able to experience by your spirit the joy of you, have, you being our father, the joy of being an adopted child of God. Um, I really pray, Lord, that for those of us who are really struggling, uh, those of us with mental health struggles, that you would be bringing us into family and giving us hope. 
and helping us experience love and bringing real relationships in our life. Friends with people who can really help walk with us through our difficult lives. Um, I pray that you would do this, and I know that because it is who you are, you will faithfully do this, Lord. Um, so I, yeah, pray that for those of us who know you already, that you would make us your instruments of healing, even though we're broken and wounded and lonely, um, apart from you, with you, uh, you empower us to care and love um, by your spirit. So I pray you would do that and that we would experience the joy of being able to all worship you as your family. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.